along with me as we read from Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13 this morning through 21. And the word of God says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then they said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of the rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning with himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grains and my goods. And and I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? And so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. God had a blessing to the reading of his word amongst us this morning. You know, if you give people enough opportunity to talk, you'll soon find out what is most important to them. If you want to know what is in someone's heart deep down, let them talk long enough about themselves in their world And what's on the inside will continue to come out. If you want to know if someone who names the name of Christ really focuses on Christ and really has a heart for the things of heaven, let them talk long enough and this will be exposed. Jesus taught this very principle himself over in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How do you tell what a person loves the most? Well, generally, what they, what they talk about the most often is their highest degree of passion in their life. How can you tell what is most fulfilling in someone's life? Well, generally, what consumes that person's time, energy, and resources is what they believe will be most fulfilling to them. If someone's mind is a moral sewer, their speech will pour forth foul things. If someone is pure in heart, they'll pursue a life that promotes those things, purity and righteousness and and things that are good. The saying is true, time and truth go hand in hand. That is to say, given enough time, eventually hearts will be exposed and moreover, the truth will be shown. Today's message is about that very thing, the heart Inclined to the things of the world, exposed by Jesus as to where it truly lies. A heart that we will see is consumed by the things of this world. No matter if we are old or or young, new to the faith or a mature believer, if we are not careful, what we own can soon own us. What we have can soon have hold of us. Right at the start, I was talking to the guys just before church. It seems like again and again through this series of the parables, we've been teaching on this very topic. Don't love the world, love God. 
But there is a, a reason why Jesus taught so much on this very topic. There's a reason why his teaching consume, is consumed by this topic. Because he knows that things of this world easily ensnare us. Things of this world easily distract us from him and from our time spent with him. J.C. Ryle says, It would be vain to decide positively which is the most common sin in the world, but it would be safe to say that there is none at any rate to which the heart is more prone than covetousness. Covetousness or, or coveting or, or greed, longing for something more, finding sufficiency in something else other than Christ. Jesus warns us against it time and time again because it can be all too easy for us to hope in and rest in the things that we can touch and feel and hold on to. Earthly goods can bring a certain amount of security, but the point is always the same. They will never last. They will never allow you to passage into eternity, no matter how hard we try. If we are not careful, what we own will soon own us. Whenever Jesus taught the multitudes, he was always the master at driving home these points, often with an illustration. And more often than not, the parables were used as just that, as illustrations to his teaching. Many times, illustrations simply came from people within the crowds just blurting out these questions to him. And Jesus would use that moment to expose the real issue in their hearts. And he would put an exclamation point then onto the truth. And that is what happens in this text before us today. Some guy in the crowd, he, he used this moment that he took to put on the table exactly what was most important to him in his life. Verse 13, look with me at the text. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher or Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. This is where we find our, our first truth this morning as we look at our text. I better turn that on. Greed and truth do not mix. Greed and truth do not mix. Straight away, you can tell that this guy's issue in the text is money. It's his inheritance. It's an inheritance, so far as we can tell, has either been withheld from him unlawfully by his family members, or perhaps he's not satisfied with how things came out in the ancient probate court or, or something like that. Somehow, he is not liking the situation. The bottom line is, this guy is all about getting what he wants. He wants his family inheritance. He wants the estate. Remember, we're looking at the heart issue here. If you really want to study the human heart, not only are we to look at what someone says, but also the context in which they say it. The timing of this question, for example, tells us a few things about just how deep an issue greed and the love of money is in this guy's life. First of all, this guy in the story, he has not been sobered at all by anything in the previous chapter. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees of their hypocrisy back in chapter 11. Verse 37 of chapter 11, Jesus had spoken with one of these Pharisees and he, he dined with one and he pointed out their hypocrisy, how they were clean on the outside but not on the inside. 
seemingly this, this guy in chapter 12, is, he's somewhere in the crowd and, and he's hearing this teaching as it spreads throughout the crowd, but he's not being affected by it at all. He doesn't see himself as a hypocrite. He doesn't see himself as the issue. Nor is he phased later on when Jesus says, You should fear him who can kill both the body and soul in hell. The teaching earlier in, in chapter 12 You need to fear God, not human beings. Not what human beings can do to you. They can only do things to the body. They can't do anything else. Eternity is what really matters. This guy does not seem phased by that at all. He doesn't seem concerned in the slightest that there is a day coming when he will have to answer for how he has lived. You could just say then that this guy is not thinking long term. He's not thinking on an eternity level sad that even some of us as believers, we, we've come to Christ, we know that Christ is eternal, we know our life is in the future, but yet we seem to drift back to such temporal and earthly thinking. That's why we're reminded so often in the scriptures, and I love Colossians 3, not to set our minds on the things of this earth. In other words, don't promote anything that is of substance or, or be all and end all of our existence. Essentially, That's the New Testament message, to think long-term. To know that souls are what matters above all else. In raising our our little family, this point became all the more real to me. Given two kids to our care, and it is for the briefest of moment that Nia and I can have influence over these little ones' souls. Yes, it is, is God who will ultimately determine them and, and draw them to himself in, his, in accordance with his will. But we still have a chance to influence, have influence on their little souls. Nothing else matters besides this. Everything I do is either a tool used for influence or it does nothing other than suffice some earthly desire in me. This guy in our text is not thinking long-term. And our culture doesn't help us with this either. We seem to be bombarded today with, with the message, live for the moment, enjoy what you have now, be whoever you want to be. Our culture trains us to have short-term minds. But if we're not careful, that will only lead to spiritual malnutrition. This guy is only interested in what's going on here on earth. He's only concerned about what he can get out of the here and now. Not only does context tell us that he's short-sighted in his thinking, we see by the question itself that he asks, he obviously views Jesus wrongly here. Verse 13, the guy looks at Jesus as some sort of moral police, if you like, or a legal voice in his family's estate. That's all this guy is interested in. To him, Jesus isn't the preacher of good news. He doesn't bring salvation and forgiveness. He's merely someone to be used as, as a legal advantage. He sees, someone, he sees Jesus as someone with connections to the higher-ups in Israel. He thinks that the upstanding character of Jesus maybe gives him a little bit of extra influence over his family. That's all this guy is thinking about when he comes to Jesus. I want money, I want what satisfies me and secures me here on this earth. 
And he's utterly missed the eternal message. To him, Jesus is an official mouthpiece in order to receive what he wants most in his heart. And so when you think about the fact that he asked this question in the crowd, he blurts this question out. The fact that after Jesus had spoken so much about eternal issues tells you what has happened to his heart. His heart is not set on Christ. His treasure is not in the heavenlies and in eternal things. He's all about the temporal life. And Jesus, knowing this, somewhat distances himself from the man. Verse 14, But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Jesus is not an appointed court official to decide the the future financial security. Because he's about to say that those things are not secure. It's dangerous to ground ourselves in anything other than Christ and his eternal things. It is dangerous for us to use what resources we have in such a distracted or attached way that we lose sight of the fact that our resources are tools to honor and glorify God. They are not and can never be the substance of our lives. Jesus didn't come to earth to give people this and settle justice disputes in these earthly kind of situations. The work of the gospel is the work of the gospel and it isn't about settling earthly disputes and being sort of earthly justice. Jesus didn't come to meet the needs of everyone, just giving them their desires and and sending them on their way. He didn't come to eradicate poverty. He himself said to the people around him, you'll always have the poor with you. Until the kingdom, until Christ is reigning and ruling, there will be needs that go unmet. Should we try and meet those needs? Absolutely. But that's not the work of the gospel. Ministering to the souls is not that. Jesus did not come to solve world hunger or he would have done just that, solve world hunger. At his next coming, he will do that. He will solve it as the king of kings. But why did Jesus come? Well, this guy totally misses the point. He misses the fact that Jesus came to call people out of their love of temporal things, out of their attachment to earthly securities, out of their idolatry over those things. Jesus came to help us see that there is a heavenly judge whom we will answer to one day. And there is nothing on earth that will give us a standing on that day before him. I love how one commentator says it. He says, Jesus came to bring men to God, not property to men. This guy, he loves money and his heart is exposed. Why does he love money? Because he doesn't love Christ. When you love Christ, you can't love money. When you love money, you can't love Christ. Jesus said that very thing in in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will hold on to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and material gain. Greed and truth do not mix. Jesus says this outright to the guy in the crowd before us this morning. It is important to ask ourselves and see exactly where we stand. Secondly, we see in this parable 
that security in things is an illusion. Security says, Jesus says, security in things is an illusion. Verse 15, he said to them, be aware, be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist in his possessions. Jesus says to them, look out, be aware. It's a great word here, this word, meaning to, to, to see with utter clarity. Be aware, pay attention, clearly grasp what is going on. That's the, the terminology used here. And he says, be on guard against, that is a word for watchmen, be carefully watching all the time. Make it your duty to preserve and protect the right perspective. Be on guard. Watch out. Look out at what is going on. This guy, he, he wasn't looking out. He wasn't thinking about where his, his heart might go when it came to earthly things. He wasn't guarding his life as to where he laid his security. Look, be aware, watch your heart, see these things with clarity. Young people especially need to stop looking to the future in our culture as, that, as though it is going to bring some security for them. Like we said, security in things is an illusion. Being famous is an illusion. Being popular is an illusion. Having money is an illusion as to its ultimate security. This is Jesus' point. Look out. See with clarity. See and clearly grasp it. Be a watchman. Make it your duty to protect the right perspective. Lest your heart will go there. Jesus says to be on guard against, what does he say? From every form of greed. That word there, better understood as, as coveting or, or covetousness. Basically, having the idea of what will fulfill my life most in the here and now. What will bring me the most security? I want what everyone else has because I see that it secures them. That is a term. And typically, it involves something of, of value in the culture, whether it be property or, or material gain or, or riches. Whatever it is, is something to mask the heartache that you have when you don't have the resources. That is exactly what this guy is doing. Jesus knew that he came into the crowd. He hasn't listened to anything about fearing God. He hasn't listened to the seriousness of that day when he's going to come and stand before the Father. He hasn't thought about anything like that. All he is thinking about is how I can get this official rabbi who seems to have some influence to come with me to court and yank on my brother's neck and give me the inheritance. That's all that this guy is interested in. You know, we must always, always be satisfied with the unfolding providence of God in our lives. We must always be satisfied with the unfolding providence of God in our lives. It's like Proverbs 30 when Agar prayed that, that great prayer, Lord, give me my correct portion. Lord, if you, if you give me too much, I know my heart is going to glory in it and rejoice in it. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to forget you. Do you ever think that about your heart? Do you ever defend your heart? No, Lord, you could, you could give me a lot of resources. I'm sure that I would, I would use it for you, Lord. 
Just test me with that million dollars, Lord. Give me a million dollars. I'll use it for you. I'm, I'm sure I will. We're all guilty of thinking that at one stage or another. But what God is interested in is what are you doing with the $10 in your wallet or the $100 in your bank account? That is what God is interested in. Where is your heart? God gives us in his providence exactly what he wants to give us. Our problem is our heart attitude. Is it on the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it on the certainties here, which are really not certainties at all? Sufficiency in earthly things is an illusion. As quoted at the start, J.C. Riley, Ryle, sorry, Ryle, said that there is no sin to which the heart is more prone to than covetousness. It was a sin which helped cast down the angels who fell. They were not content with their first estate. They coveted something better. It was a sin which helped drive Adam and Eve out of the garden of paradise and bring death into the world. Our first parents, they were not satisfied with what God gave them in Eden. They coveted and so they fell. It is a sin which ever since the fall has been the cause of misery and unhappiness, the cause of wars, the cause of quarrels, stripes, divisions, envies, disputes, jealousies and hatreds of all sorts. All being traced back to the fountainhead that is covetousness. Let it be known that the Bible does not forbid having whatever God gives us graciously. It doesn't forbid it at all. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 says, God is the one who gives power to make wealth. He gives you the ability to discipline your life and bring fruit out of the earth even though it is cursed. God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Lots of people in God's family have lots of earthly goods. Lots of people of God's family in ancient times had tremendous amounts of wealth. Job, he was extremely wealthy. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and, and of course Solomon, we know. Even in the New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea, he was, he was wealthy, the scriptures tell us. The scriptures do not forbid earthly gain, but what the scriptures forbid is the love of it. The longing for those things, the security in those things. Simply stated, to love what is here on earth and to find security in what is here on earth is idolatry. It is to worship an idol, it is to fix your hope on something that is no absolute power to secure your future. The wealthiest king over the wealthiest empire on earth in mid-900 BC said, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income, Ecclesiastes 5.10. For the love of money, Judas betrayed Christ and now his soul suffers in hell for all eternity. It was coveting that led the early church, Ananias and Sapphira, to lie to the Holy Spirit. The love of money, as Agar said, can cause you to forget God. So you ought to pray for just your portion. Back to Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Notice what Jesus says. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist in his possessions. There it is. What you have is not a reality. 
what you possess materially, what you have on the outside, what people think of you, how you feel, your piece of property, your vehicles, your resources, education that you might have paid for, the savings that you have stored up, earthly goods that you have with you. It doesn't matter how generous you are with those earthly things. It's a wonderful thing to be generous with them. But the point is here, does you, do you trust in them as if they are the measure of your life before a holy God? Do you trust in the things of this earth more than you trust in the eternal God? Because Jesus says that not even when a person has an abundance does his life consist in his possessions. You say, why? Well, Jesus answers that perfectly with us. In a parable, and remember, by the way, a, a parable, there's really one driving point in a parable. Often there are many smaller details that, that help build the story. But in essence, there is one main driving point in these parables. Verse 16, he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I mean, look what was happening this guy in this in this parable he was blessed god providentially allowed incredible gain for this guy the gain was incredible the profits that he had were amazing and he he was rolling in he needed a place to secure it and that's what this guy did he planned it out he reasoned it out with himself what am i going to do i am going to tear down my barns and i'm going to build larger ones i'm going to store all of my grains and my goods I can do this. I have the resources. I'm going to find a place to secure it. And Jesus is, is coming to a point. He's, this guy is not merely securing it. There's nothing wrong with having things, putting it on a nice piece of property somewhere to secure it and make it safe. All of those things that God gives you richly to enjoy, there's nothing wrong with securing it. But why is he building bigger barns? Notice what he says to his soul. Verse 19, soul you have many goods laid up for years to come. Translated, basically saying, I am set for life. I have it. I'm done. I've got this. Soul, take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Notice what's missing from verse 19. Think about what's missing. I'm going to say to my soul, so he's, he's talking to himself. He's not talking to God. You have many goods. That's an earthly thing, right? You've stored them up for many years to come. Those are earthly measurements, years to come. He's not thinking about eternity. He's not thinking about, he's, all he's thinking about is his earthly years. He never says, okay, what about eternity? What can I use these things for, for eternity? How many people can I influence for God? What about treasure for God? Never once is that mentioned in this guy's thoughts. He's talking to himself. Look at his barns, seeing what he has, and he's saying to himself, take it easy, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Do what will fulfill your earthly life for as long as your earthly life lasts. Enjoy ease, enjoy eating and drinking and satisfaction and happiness and fulfillment in all that is temporal. What is missing from verse 19 is anything about eternity. He's talking to himself as a person. He knows that he's a soul. He knows that he's a, a living being created by God. But yet he ignores all of that 
and found his security in earthly things right in front of him and everything that he has earned. Verse 20. Notice who speaks to him next. I love this. But God said to him, your creator who is missing from verse 19, you haven't even thought about, God says to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. What is that referring to? Basically saying, it's over. You know those years to come that you set everything up for? You're not going to use any of this stuff because God decides your days. God numbers your days before there was even one of them. Psalm 139, he ordained every single one of them. Jesus later on will go on to say, which of you worrying about all of these things can add a single cubit to your life? God is sovereign over your days. It is an illusion to find certainty in anything other than him. You could take a step out of the aisle today and breathe your last because God has ordained your days. Just because you have things, you've built barns and and you're enjoying the fruit of it, it doesn't mean that they have or give you any certainty. Jesus is making a crucial point here. Nothing matters but what is eternal. That is why your life doesn't consist in your possessions. It doesn't. It doesn't consist in your reputation here on earth. It doesn't consist in whether or not you are educated. It doesn't consist in fame or or popularity. It doesn't consist in how well you go about the culture. It doesn't consist in any of those things. There is no security in anything on earth. Why? Because one night, maybe this night, you're going to stand before the Creator and your soul will be asked of you. What will you then give? What will you offer when all you've done is said to your soul, Without God, in the picture, I'm good. I'm set. I'm going to maximize my time here on earth and be utterly fulfilled on earth. I wonder God calls him a fool, right? Who will own what you have prepared? Everything that you have prepared, everything that you thought you were going to be enjoying, this night you are answering for your soul while someone else has what you possess. All, those, all that work that you did, all that securing, all that worrying, all that anxiety, all that grinding. And he's saying it right to the guy in the crowd who's saying, my brother hasn't given me what I deserve. You fool. You fool. Verse 21. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself. Look at this. He is not rich towards God. He is not rich towards God. The soul will not be satisfied with earthly treasures. Life is a vapor. Here one second, gone the next. Don't be like this guy and say, I'm going to build all these, all these big barns. I'm going to plan to go here and plan to go there and, and do business over here. James 4 tells us without first saying, if the Lord wills it. That's how you're first rich towards God, by having faith, being rich in humility, acknowledging to God, hey Lord, if you will it, I will have it. 
If your providence unfolds in this way, I accept that, Lord. Good season, down season, lots to enjoy, little to enjoy. Whatever the season, life is brief. And we should be those who say, if you will it, Lord, if you will it, I will secure them. I'll do my best to be a good steward. But you do with it as you please, Lord, because it is your plan and your providence. What does it mean not to be rich towards God? It means not to be rich in grace, not to be rich in the things of grace, not to be rich in the things of culture. It means not to be rich in faith that believes God and trusts God regardless of whether you have things or not. Another thing that will be affected is your, is your works for the Lord. The more you have, the more time you will spend trying to be a good steward of it. And that can make it difficult to think about others. Sometimes you become so good at business that you forget that life isn't about numbers on a spreadsheet. It's actually about people and, and stewardship of souls. It's actually about the souls that are right in front of you, your kids, your wives, your grandkids, your disciples, the people within your church. Being rich towards God means being rich in discipleship, rich in thoughts about other souls. When you meet Christ, that is the only thing that will matter, how you've influenced souls for the kingdom. I'm sure some of you are hoping that there'll be a bit of, there'll be a bit of added reputation there. Hey, Lord, I spent this. I donated that to this charity. I did this. I did that. And those are wonderful things to do unless you put your security and your hope in them. If you think that that's going to gain you something that day when your soul is required of you, it's only robbing you of being rich towards God in the here and now. To quote J.C. Ryle again, he says on this passage, When can it be said of a man that he is rich towards God? Never until he has applied to Jesus and bought from him gold tried in the fire. Never until he has a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Until his name is inscribed in the book of life and is an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Such a man is truly rich. His treasure is incorruptible. His bank never breaks. His inheritance never fades away. Man cannot deprive him of it. Death cannot snatch it out of his hands. All things are his already. Life, death, things present and things to come. And best of all, what he has now is nothing compared to what he will have in the hereafter. End quote. Riches like these will be in reach of every sinner who comes to Christ and receives them. May we never rest until they are ours. To obtain them may cost us something. It may bring on us persecution and ridicule and scorn, but let the thought console us that the, the judge of all says, I know your afflictions, I know your poverty, yet you are rich. True, The true Christian is the only man who is truly wealthy and truly wise. Let us be those who pray confidently that we are satisfied with the unfolding providence of God. In our lives, let us pray that we think God's wisdom after Him, that however He arranges our lives is best. 
Should we have the things of this life taken away, we should be satisfied that in that state we can still call upon the name of Christ and be happy in Him. That is what it means to be rich towards God. Only the fool finds security in the illusion that is earthly things. Let us ask ourselves this morning, where are, where are, are, where are our hearts truly at before Him? At the end of this entire discussion down in verse 34, Jesus will say that very thing. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What do you think about? What consumes your mind? What are you most passionate about? Where do you spend your time and your your energy and your resources? Are souls being influenced for the kingdom? Absolutely, by all means, enjoy the things that God gives you. They are marvelous things. It's good to enjoy them. But go before the Lord and ask, Lord, do I trust in these things more than you? Am I the sort of person that brags about going here and and doing this? Am I the kind of person that when something is taken away from me, still glories in you, Lord? Am I the kind of person who has less than I would like on a monthly basis, but still honors God first? Be aware, be on guard against where your heart is at. Our problem is greed, it is covetousness, but the answer is being rich towards God. Greed and truth will not mix. Security in things of this earth is only an illusion. Be on guard. We must be satisfied with the unfolding providence of God in our lives. We must have a healthy distrust of what our heart will do and where it will go. Give us our portion, O God, and then we will be Christ-centered. Everything else we have, we are to use it for spiritual influence on eternal souls. Amen? Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you as we Think upon how good and how rich and how great you are. Lord, truly, you, you give us more than we could ask for. Lord, we thank you for our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is through him and him alone that we can stand before you. Lord, help us to have a, a healthy distrust in the things of this earth. Help us be those who, who honor you first in all that we have and all that we say and all that we do. May our hearts be inclined to you and your things, Lord, not distracted by the things of this earth, but rather hoping and resting in you for now and until eternity. We look forward to these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.